What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. I hope this finds you in your highest greatness, standing in your truth on this magnificent day we have before us. It's excellent to be with you. This episode of the Ebb and Flow podcast is a good one. It's a long one. It's a good one. A lot of good information uh, and just a good all-around conversation with my brother, Coach Joe Stefano. Coach Joe is a kettlebell wizard. He's a breathwork mastermind. He's dropping some gems around these topics and a lot more. Uh, we had a uh, we had a ball. Um, something we discuss in this episode is how COVID has really brought the people together who are in the same soul tribe. And I really appreciate Joe and his energy, and I, I view him as a as a friend from here on out, a, a brother, a soul brother, without question. Um, I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, check out the show notes to find more information on Joe and where to check him out on Instagram and his excellent, his dope lifestyle company, uh, which is really about wellness retreats which he's in the in the process of working through that and navigating that whole thing obviously with covid etc called runga life you can find out more at rungalife.com all right folks well i think that's about it uh i will let joe do the rest of the talking um it's a good one i think you will enjoy it thank you guys so much for supporting me in this show there's two ways to do that now, other than just listening to this episode and all the other Ebb and Flow episodes. You can subscribe, rate it, review it on your favorite podcast platform. You can also visit me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Britain for more information on mindset, motivation, meditation, movement, nutrition, etc. The Ebb and Flow process. Lots of love to you guys. Hope you have an excellent rest of your day. I'll see you all on the flip side. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination. Your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. Coach Joe. It's great Yo. to have you with me, man, on the Ebb and Flow podcast. What's up, Evan? Dude, um, I first came across you on Instagram. I loved your vibe. I really resonate with your philosophy. And the more I've gotten to know you, that has been exponentially so. And then I'm reading about you this week, getting prepped for this convo, and I learned that your whole way of looking at health, training, your philosophy um, around these things was 
started or came out of a traumatic brain injury that you had. And I was like, fuck, dude, of course, this is my guy, you know, coming out of the NFL. That was such a huge part of that experience. Concussions, subconcussive hits, you know, looking back on my career going, you know, I was without a doubt concussed on numerous occasions and suffered the symptoms of that black depression, confusion, um, emotional instability, anxiety. Um, and much of what I do in my life now is based on getting myself into giving myself the best opportunity to have mental, emotional, spiritual clarity in my life. So I'm really excited to dive in with you, man. And, uh, I guess let's just start there. I mean, the big question for me is how did you come upon this philosophy? Because you're very much kettlebell, fasting, nutritionally oriented. And I really love that as my own practice has evolved over the years from, you know, a lot of really heavy weightlifting to much more yoga and flow centric practices. Um, so let's start there, man. What what was the traumatic brain injury that sets that set you off? Yeah, well, hey, thanks, Evan. And um, I guess I would say uh, my philosophy it's it's really pretty simple, right? So when you have any sort of health problem, right, you go back to the basics because mm-hmm. you know if you have a real bad injury and you know you got to learn how to walk again, you're not worried about you know your your you know, how much glutathione you got running through your veins. And, and so in part, my call it rehab, just put me back to square one. And I got back to what breathing, nutrition, exercise. And I think that's really kind of my story. Now, you know, I my injury actually happened about 20 years ago, and Mm. fractured my skull and kind of, I've still got a ton of trauma around it, to be honest, man, just between between the wake up, and the the entire experience of being shuttled around hospitals and um, watching also like in my, you know, kind of memories, what my parents were going through and feeling guilt and feeling. So there's a lot, a lot there. Um, mm. And so the interesting thing about the medical paradigm, and of course, it was also a big kind of push to me to um, uh, to just kind of question things because without going too deep down the rabbit hole, it's just, there was a lot of all, there was a lot of mistakes in how it was treated. Mm. Um, because the conventional medical paradigms definition of health, isn't the definition of health that you and I have. So if you walk in and you have, you know, spinal fluid and, and everything else leaking out of your head and a fractured skull, not dead is the definition of health. Mm. Right. So, right the term full recovery um, to the doc in his mind might be like, you know, you might have seizures for a while or, you know, (laughs) full recovery might be, you know, not remembering aspects of your childhood. Full recovery might be pain, might be depression, Mm. might be, uh, you know, intense ADHD, panic attacks, or, you know, all the things that can come with, Right. head trauma. Yep. But the doc is saying you're going to make a full recovery and telling my parents or whoever that I'm going to make a full recovery mm. in that definition. 
And the definition that I'm hearing that my parents are hearing are like, this kid's going to be, you know, singing Christmas carols next week. And, you know, he's going to be he's going to be fine. And, you know, he's going to live a productive life, get a great job, you know, do the whole thing. And so that immediately sets off a cascade of sort of denial when the when things start to fall apart. Right. Mm. So I imagine a lot of NFL guys deal with this. So after the, you know, after the, the games end, after the career is over, they're having these manic episodes or they're, they're having intense problems, maintaining relationships, or they're uh, mm. dealing with any of these very, very common problems that come with brain injury. But they, they don't even connect the dot to yeah. it being hit in the head. It's like, you know, I've just got more time on my hands to be anxious now, or, you know, I've just, and so we're also taught to sort of. That's such a good point, man. I have to say, you know, because it's, those things are looked at as this happens to everybody. This is life stuff, you know? Yeah. And when you can really acknowledge that there's a cause to that effect that you're experiencing, that's so liberating. And I've more, I, I've more, uh, I've had the experience of the medical paradigm when I had my back injury, and a doctor, our the team back surgeon or team back expert, literally looked me in the eyes and said, "Yeah, you know, you'll probably never play again." You know, and this was in my right. third year of my career, and I'm like, "Dude, go fuck yourself," you know. And uh, for doctors, that's but he was saying that as like, "Yeah, I mean, you'll be okay," you know. Um, but go ahead, man. It's so it's, it's really wonderful to hear you illuminate these very, uh, common things, these common threads of the medical paradigm and the explanations therein and, and, and the after effects. 100% brother. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I had that exact same experience. I was, when I started to have, I'm 36 coming up on 36 now, but when I was 22, I walked into a, a doc's office having all kinds of problems. And this was like the first doc I even got to talk to me, really. You know, every other doc was like, oh, you're just depressed. Take take this. Take an antidepressant. Right. Oh, you need uh, more Adderall. You need more, you know, all of these <laughs> things. Are, yeah, Xanax. Like all of a sudden you're like a freaking, you know, uh, walking medicine cabinet. But one doc was actually, and I hadn't even connected the dots at this point, but the first doc that connected the dots and was like, looking at my past, looking at my brain scans, looking at my injury, looking at my, my stuff. He was like, Hey man, like Muhammad Ali got hit in the head a lot. Michael J. Fox had bad luck, but it's the same problem. It's the same disorder. And that's where you're headed by 30. That's literally what he said. So at 22, uh, I was Michael J. Fox by 30 and dude, like at the time I was literally uh, six months prior to this, I was literally running marathons, mm. like, you know, like yeah. physically uber fit and, you know, and that's where I kind of evolved. Now I'm where health meets fitness. That's kind of like my thing, right? I love that. It's because I chased fitness mm. and I quickly realized that health and fitness were different, but in my early 20s, hearing that, man, I went off the freaking rails. I was already in banged up shape. I walked in. I walked in to get some kind of like answer, some kind of help. And the guy, man, I went into the deepest, darkest place, yeah. like immediately, like on the way home. And and it just led this whole, led me into this this real deep place, dark place. 
Um, interestingly, at that point, I was like, you know, I had a successful personal training career at the time. I was like, fuck it. Like, what is it? What does this all mean? I literally got on a plane and moved to the Caribbean because I was like, if I got, if I got eight years, <laughs> you know, if I got, if I got eight years basically before I'm like, you know, useless. Yeah. Uh, what am I doing working? Like I'd rather be broke and, and in a wheelchair in eight years than, than, mm. you know, so anyways, I, yeah. I moved to the Caribbean and interestingly, um, one of my docs gave me, um, uh, Tony Robbins, 30 day personal power, mm. personal power program. And it, I still can hear it in my head. I, I it was, um, it was really transformative because I moved to the Island of St. John and every day I walked down to the beach. Right. And I did my personal power every day. There's like a journaling exercise. Um, and then I would go into the water and I just intuitively, I didn't even think about it for mm. some reason, the cure for my like attention problem, my anxiety was breath holding. Mm. So wow. I started going in the water and just seeing either how long I could stay under the water. Who knows? Maybe I was suicidal. I don't know. But seeing how long I could stay under the water, either either swimming or just sitting there and kind of having a little tea party at the butt and seeing how long I could sit there. And I realized that those breath holds kind of, they really made, they really brought me into the now. They really brought a lot of presence. They really, between that and the journaling, I started to feel better after a couple of months. And after a few months, I also noticed that everyone in those islands, obviously it's a touristy place, but everyone that's there full time, they're all running from something. Mm. And so after like, you know, some time there and after I started to get my feet back under me and I was ready to just take on whatever was coming my way and also not really believing any longer that I had this problem because I felt myself coming out of it. And I also was kind of, I guess, intuitive enough to know that a lot of the physical problems, so I couldn't walk in a straight line. Mm. At, at 22. But a lot of that physical kind of limitation, I still have some of that. But a lot of it is emotional, because when your emotions are unhinged, if, you, if you've got a lot of junk going on, you're holding a lot of tension, it exacerbates issues. So in other words, if you've got a, you know, you've got a former, you know, you have a neck problem that you had in the NFL, uh, and you're feeling great today. Well, if you were to have some sort of trauma, go through some shit, be told that this is what's where your life is headed, be diagnosed with some, all of a sudden that neck problem might go crazy. Yeah. And I kind of had a, had a, had an idea that that's what was going on because even if I wasn't perfect, I was, I was getting closer than I had been in, in recent memory. And I also just felt more powerful, felt more in control. So that's kind of where I stumbled into breath work, quote unquote. That's where I stumbled into meditation and, and journaling and, and being more mindful and then that basically evolved over the years into what today is what I call runga, which is just a, a live experience where we kind of go through all those practices with people. And we've added ice baths and all that stuff. Um, but that's kind of kind of the story. Now, can I tack on one more thing, or am I? You want to go you for wanna, it? Bro. You want to turn? You want me to pass you the ball? No, no, go for it, man. I've so got thoughts on all this, and I you, but they're they're locked in, so you just keep rolling. Right, locked and loaded. So I'll add a, a quick little thing here is prior to that diagnosis, prior to kind of things coming to a head for me, 
was very active, had an undergrad degree in exercise physiology that I just finished. Mm. Um, I was, uh, you know, like, like, like I said, I was into personal training and whatnot into, you know, doing a lot of high intensity interval training. Um, but I quickly figured out that really intense exercise pushed me down the wrong rabbit hole, pushed me down just the, uh, now I know that this is common. So if you have post-concussion syndrome, you have a lot of this stuff, super hard exercise, especially that probably isn't properly periodized or designed, and it might be just too much on the CNS, can dive, can push it pretty, you know, push it down pretty far. It can be really challenging to recover from because, mm. you know, your your brainstem, the way my docs explained it to me, is like you got a traffic jam in the brainstem. It's like don't throw, you know, too many, too many cars on the road. So I ended up kind of regressing from really hard exercise. And basically I was just doing breath holds, walking, really kind of, kind of easy stuff for a couple of years. And in, uh, 2010, 2011, my professor, Jeff Godin from, from my college program, who, who was a professor I was really close with during college. And we hadn't spoken a few years. He says, Hey, I want you to come out to this race with me. And he had been trying to talk me into ridiculous endurance events for years. And I was just like, I'm not doing that shit. You know, I, you know, I checked a couple of boxes, but he says it's 5k. We're going to run through the mountains. We're going to throw spears, jump mm. over fire, crawl under barbed wire. And it's going to end at 5k. So basically that just reignited this spark inside of me, that athleticism, that like that, that personal power that I hadn't felt in a couple of years yeah. and, you know, fast forward 10 years. And I, I just left that world um, about a year and a half ago. So that's the um, Spartan race. That's the Spartan race. And I love um, that dude. <laughs> the last thing I would tack on, I guess, is like, so I went from yang to full yin and then I started weaving the yang back in. But after three or four years <laughs> of uh, running through the woods, throwing spears, <laughs> I started to regress. I started to load that load that system too much. And every time I overload the system in 2020, honestly, like right now, I just got out of, I just got a hyperbaric chamber from my house mm. because 2020, I didn't, I'm still doing a lot of ongoing stuff with some docs and a lot of therapies that I do just on a regular basis to stay ahead in 2020, man, all that on top of having a kid, all that just fell away. So yeah. Right now I'm actually, I'm pretty fit, but I can feel myself. And so, um, just before the show, I just spent like two hours in the hyperbaric chamber. Love so, it. um, anyways, after a couple of years, I started to find a little bit more balance. And the last thing I'll tack on, cause you added, you asked about kettlebells is that, um, I started to strip away stuff that doesn't work. Mm. And so I don't do pull-ups. I do chin-ups mm. because my shoulders aren't totally squared up, right? I, I've got some torques in my system. I don't do a lot of barbell work because it, it just doesn't work with my body. And so kettlebells had allowed me to kind of stay healthy with some sort of asymmetries that just exist in my body at this point mm. um, and got me incredibly strong. And I love the nature of them in that unlike so many other modalities of strength conditioning, the kettlebell is the teacher. And I just did a big post today about why kettlebells have to be heavy. They have to yeah. be heavy yeah. because it teaches your body how to control the load. It's like, I use the example of like a, a straw from Starbucks. That's basically our body. We're these like weak, we're these weak standing <laughs> erect 
beings that as long as if the force is actually going into us in the right direction without any shear and without any twit, we can actually be quite strong. So if I push on the ends of a straw from Starbucks, it's rather strong. But if mm. I put a little kink in that straw, it just breaks in a second. Mm. And so kettlebells, if you think about like a, a press with a kettlebell, it's going to teach that alignment. And furthermore, you're going to have to contract every muscle in the body to maintain that strength, maintain that pillar that you can't cheat. So if you are 10 degrees this way, yep. it's going to be 10 times heavier. So it just programs, as long as you're using a, a heavy weight, it's going to program your system in a way that I couldn't do with, with other means. And so I just got addicted to them. And so that's, that's so story. That's so interesting, dude. Um, I saw your post. You said, you said something like you can't, it's, it's literally impossible to swing a kettlebell that is less than 25% of your body weight correctly. Yeah. Right. Um, and that is so what you just articulated there about why kettlebells are so awesome has been my experience. You can't, you can't fake a kettlebell, you know, uh, because your body just, it'll just collapse, you know, if you're doing, so I, I've got this fucking 80 pound kettlebell that awesome. Yeah. It's just. I could maybe go like a 70, but the 80 is really, I feel like I get so much out of it. And I, cause I, I follow you and I really practice some of these techniques and apply the things that you talk about on your Instagram, especially with my kettlebells and uh, like even um, doing like a skier kettlebell swing, yeah, but doing it like the gunslinger way. Yeah. I got that from you. <laughs> that, that just totally re it, it transforms the engagement in your core and your low back and your glutes. Right. Like it transforms the whole exercise. Um, so why, why, because someone who, you know, is, is down to start using kettlebells, which is, what's a other, another interesting thing in my experience is, you know, you go into a, a football weight room a lot of olympic lifts yeah. a lot of cleans snatch squat bench and then you're going to go and you're going to hit dumbbells for some stuff you're going to th- bring out the boxes to do some stuff you're going to do some mm-hmm. plyometrics um very you're going to do some band work you're going to do a lot of really high level intense weight training and then you're going to go out and you're going to do some sprinting. Very, I don't even remember seeing a kettlebell in an NFL weight room. And, you know, it wasn't really until I came out of my NFL career and somewhere along the line, I don't know where I got introduced to it, but I just fell in love with it because of just the nature of it, I guess. And what you're talking about is there's such teachers and you can't, you don't really get the same thing out of a dumbbell press that you can, that you can get out of a kettlebell. So why is it, do you, is there an answer to why you need to go heavier than a 25% of your Mm -hmm. body weight? And Mm -hmm. um, is it even worth it to do less than that? And what does that mean? Right. So, so, 
the 25% of the body weight thing is just something I've intuitively known. And the reason is, is quite simple. And like you said, look at the, the NFL weight room. And, and it's funny because, you know, in my degree in exercise physiology, I never heard the word fascia uh, uh, for years. Like now fascia is like all there is, like that's all <laughs> there is to talk about. So it's kind of funny how this, this stuff goes on. Now I will say you will not build maximal strength and power with a kettlebell relative to what you could build with a barbell loaded with plates and, uh-huh. and you know, doing cleans and jerks and, and yeah. things like that. Right. So, but I would be interested to know in terms of on-field performance. So, you know, the combine doesn't always translate to who performs the best, right? So the 225 bench for reps, man, there's guys that, <laughs> you know, the guy that got six reps is a better player than the guy that got 36 sometimes, right? Yeah, so there's this sure. like carryover to, to the field would be something I would be interested in, in understanding. And then I would also say that there's a lot of research to suggest that if you were to do kettlebells either during your off week, so programming them mm-hmm. within, there's a lot of research on this in the in the um, Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. You can find it on PubMed. In terms mm-hmm. of athletes like NFL players doing alternating weeks, as an example, so you did the you know the heavy cleans and you did the barbell work, you did the bench. Following week, you do a whole lot of kettlebell swings, snatches, things like that, where you're throwing a 50 to 80 pound kettlebell around greater ranges of motion, more speed, and you're having to control more phases of the range of motion. So that Mm. backswing, I believe that there's a lot to the backswing in the kettlebell that you just can't replicate. And and my story there is when I started swinging a hundred pound bell, which was something, uh, the RKC is the Russian kettlebell challenge. And it's Mm. something So are we good here? Just yeah, yeah. I just paused oh. the recording. All right, cool. So um, I so can't was, see you. Though. You can't see me? No. Jesus. <laughs> oh, Which is fine. I mean, it's fine for the for uh, the audio. Oh man, it's weird. My video's on. Um, it's strange. There you are. There we go. Weird. Nice. My headphones somehow got rid. I don't know, man. It's um, so weird. It's all good, bro. Stuff. All right. I'm going to throw the headphones in here. Give this a shot. Um, I got you. Yep. All right. All right, man. Hey. So I think I was talking about the 100-pound kettlebell. The RKC. Yeah, the your 100-pound kettlebell and the Russian kettlebell challenge. So the Russian kettlebell challenge, uh, you know, men have to swing. And, and the, since the beginning, it's gotten a little bit softer. So if you're under 160 pounds, I think it is, you can use a slightly lighter weight or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, 10 years ago or whenever it was that I first stepped in the door and thought I would just smash this weekend that I didn't really know what it was all about. But I was like, I've done kettlebells enough. Like, I'll smash this thing. I just got like spit out like. And and the thing was, they wouldn't even give me a t-shirt for not passing all of the tests that they wanted me to do. Right. Oh so I couldn't gosh. even leave with like a t-shirt, but anyways, the, the story is I got, I got smashed at that first event. And then when I wanted to go back and kind of really do it again, I decided to get a hundred pound bell because you know this and, and in baseball, right? Like 
you know, you put the donut on the bat, you take a yep. couple of swings and, and then there you go. So I was kind of thinking it would be like that. So I just got really used to the hundred pound bell and sure, you know, sure as you're born, the 50 pound, 53 pound kettlebell started to feel pretty light. Yeah. And the reason was the backswing. So when you're swinging a hundred or you're swinging an 80 pound bell, the backswing sinks you into your hips mm. and activates. And I was, yeah. the research is pretty clear on this. It activates a lot of your core stabilizing muscles yep. in a way that is literally reverse to how they are engaged in a traditional barbell movement. Mm. So that's why like a lot of guys that switch from years of barbell stuff and they start swinging bells, all of a sudden their back pain goes away. Their core starts firing up better because they're kind of undoing they're activating their muscles in a way that is undoing some of the compression and some of the shear and damage that was done from other forms of training, which is probably why it works so well, kind of synergistically week over week or using bells in the off season or whatever it might be. Now, um, that kind of idea of the 25% of the body weight was something intuitively that I just knew. And the reason is when you swing a kettlebell correctly, and, and I'm speaking in terms of the Russian Orthodox swing, which is mm. not the overhead swing that you see a lot of people doing. That's the CrossFit swing, which there's nothing wrong with it. It's called the American swing. Right. It's simply a version of the swing that can be ranked or judged by a referee in a competition. So in other words, the end of the range of motion is lockout overhead. So mm. it's a complete, it's a sporting movement as opposed to an exercise in the gym, which is kind of how I see the difference, right? Mm. So the Russian swing stops at the shoulders because you are projecting the bell in the horizontal plane, not the vertical plane. So it would never go above your shoulders really because between the weight being proper and the momentum going horizontal, it just never really does. But the thing is you can engage such a high percentage of your maximal contractile force in the glutes and the legs, big muscles, the strongest muscles in your entire body. If the weight isn't heavy enough, you now have to do other shit just to keep mm. it looking like it's supposed to look on zoom or on, you know, whatever right. class you're taking. Yep. So it ends up being good at the expense of great because we're trying to look for angles. We're trying to look for making sure it stops at the shoulder, making sure the hip looks like this. But in fact, we're putting tons of force into that bell from the hip, but then we have to like tighten our shoulders and upper back and trap to stop it where we want it to stop. Whereas if it was heavy enough, it wouldn't go any further than where you want it to go. Um, and so when we look at one thing I'll tack on, when we look at benefits in terms of performance, uh, longevity, you know, if we want to keep our hips strong, as an example, as we're aging, uh, we want to get more contractile, uh, explosiveness out of the glutes. We have to put a lot into each swing. So it becomes a very, uh, it becomes a very explosive movement that coordinates breath and tension with relaxation. It's really beautiful. Mm. You literally can't do it right. If the weight is light. Yeah. So yeah. I would say that if somebody is getting into kettlebells today and they're hearing this and they're like, what about form and understand that you, you will have more trouble fixing a swing that was learned in order to appease a lightweight than simply doing exercises like the goblet squat, uh, lots of loaded carries with the kettlebell, pressing with the kettlebell, 
uh, get-ups to build up the strength in order to swing and then going through a progression from the deadlift all the way to the swing with something that's heavy as opposed to um, doing any other kind of path. And the last thing I'll tack on, Eben, is the biggest difference and the, the real magic of the kettlebell is the, the gravitational force on it. Mm. So if you've got a dumbbell and it's 50 pounds, You've got 25 pounds on this side of your hand and 25 pounds on this side of your hand, which means it's going left. It's going right. The kettlebells on the back of your wrist, it's going straight down. Mm. So as it relates to that straw analogy or a pillar of strength at the top of each rep, it's doing some of the work for you in that gravitationally it's being pulled directly downwards in the case of a press or a carry or a goblet squat. Um, so that's part of the magic. I love that, dude. You said that. So that makes so much sense to me. And you really feel that when you start using kettlebells, like I first got a 50 pound kettlebell and it, it wasn't enough. Like it just wasn't like I would have to swing it down to get it to go down to make sense in the movement. Right. Yeah. Whereas with, a for me, it seems like a 72-pounder is kind of my sweet spot. The 80-pound becomes really challenging, which I love, and I'm just using that because it's all I have right now, um, other than a 50 and then two 40s. Um, but the 80-pound, you get that experience, like you said, that downswing and engaging all of those tiny stabilizer muscles and the thing, the little you know, the, the little muscles in the, in the hip flexors and, you know, your spine and everything that's going on in the core, all of that stuff that doesn't get used in that way is being activated through those swings. Um, it's really interesting, dude. Uh, and, um, and like you said, it's so, I, I guess, there, I've never really done anything that is as intuitive as a kettlebell. Right. You know, none of the Olympic lifts are not intuitive. You know, there's a lot of technique. There's a lot of, you have to spend time with light weight to really get into those motions. <laughs> That's my chair just fucking breaking. <laughs> All that kettlebell. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, Bulletproof coffee and kettlebells here. Exactly, dude. Packing on the muscle. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah, and then I heard, uh, you know Donnie Thompson, who's like a, a world champion power lifter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he said in his prime he would do minimum 100 kettlebell swings a day, and it just made his, his low back and his glutes ironclad. And I felt that, you know, as, as, uh, having come out of my NFL career, dealing with back injuries were really the, the crux of my issues. Um, there's nothing better than a kettlebell and some yoga to get your core and your low back strong. Absolutely. And it's, and it's that activation at L4, L5, exactly where you're getting that sort of that, that polarized activation, that's mm. the reverse of, of everything else that maybe that you've done. And, and another thing to look at in terms of uh, the kettlebell and sort of the history, you know, this is, Pavel calls it a 300-year-old uh, 
uh, what does he call it? 300 year old, like medicine for weakness. Right. Mm, so I love that. That dude's so awesome. He's, he's freaking awesome, man. He's got some great lines. But if we think about the fact that kettlebells are, first of all, more of a practice, like playing the piano, as opposed to, uh, you know, a vehicle to get sweaty and sore. But if we think about 100 years ago, and this might be a fictional story, but let's play with it a little bit. Every bell used to be extremely heavy. Every bell was 100 pounds 100 years ago. And so everyone had to respect the bell. And what exercises can you do today? And I had this experience when I moved out of LA because our stuff took about a month to get here. And so I called up Jay over at kettlebell Kings and I was like, Hey Jay, I don't want to like, I know you're having the inventory stuff with 2020. I was like, just send me the bell. No one wants like, send me that heavy bell in the corner. That is like the, the least sold bell. So he sent me like a 92 pound bell or 96 pound bell. And so that's all I had for about a month. And through that experience, it's not like, whoa, me, it's too heavy for me. It's like, what can I accomplish with this bell today? And maybe it's a goblet squat day and I'm going to do, you know, two reps every minute on the minute for 10 minutes. Maybe it's a deadlift day. I ended up buying some, um, uh, some steps to actually step on and increase mm. the range of motion so I could deadlift it. And mm. uh, of course I would do swings and push up ladders. And, and so I just learned to progress with the bell instead of looking for a bell that was lighter or whatever. And that's how it started. And that's why you can really celebrate when you're using bells that are appropriately weight. And of course, if you look at the last hundred years, it went from a hundred pounds for every bell. And then they started making 32 kilos. Then it was 16 and 32 kilos. And they added the 24 and then they added the 22 and then they added the 20 and the 18. And the, mm. so now we've got one pound, two pound, three pound, four pound, five pound, six pound, <laughs> but the nature of the bell part of the instruction and part of the proper kind of orthodox progression with kettlebells is to actually have a big gap between bell sizes Mm. because you have to learn to appreciate that heavier bell. And when you look at some of the workouts that I've got on my website and things, you might do say three sets at 20, Mm. right? And you've got like, and you slowly progress. And so let's just say you're using a 24 kg bell, which most guys start with. And so you want to go to the 32. Well, you might do three sets of 20 with the 24. The next week, you change the first set to the 32, keep the last two, the 24. A week or two later, you do two sets with the 32, and you slowly eliminate the 24 from your life, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a cool kind of simple way to kind of grow appreciation and respect for this bell without babying yourself and you know, looking for the bell that's in between bell sizes when there's four pounds between eight pounds between it's, it's just, um, you're kind of losing some of the magic and some, some of that practice that you can, that you can grow an appreciation for. Um, the last one thing I'll tack on Eben, most of the research in the literature on kettlebells is using either 12 or 16 kilo bells. And mm. so with that, when you look at a lot of the research, that's too light, right? Sure. And generally, if the athletes are female, they use a 12. And if they're male, they use a 16. But I think part of it is, and if you do the math, it might be between 18 and 22% of most of their body weights, right? So it's actually pretty close, depending on the type of athlete being studied. But when you look at, you know, the, the stigmas, the confidence, the fact that they have to do the workout three times a week for eight weeks, 12 weeks to not, you know, we, they can't risk anybody falling off. And so there's so much 
there, but I'll also add that they're using slightly less than my recommendation in the research, but the workouts are ridiculous. Mm. It's like as many swings as you can possibly do in 12 minutes. <laughs> it's uh, 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off for 30 minutes. So uh. that 100 swings uh, law is really true that 100 swings is a workout, right? especially when you're using a proper bell. But if you do the math on some of the literature, they're using a 16 kilo bell, but they're swinging it basically nonstop for a half hour. Mm. So you can, you can kind of say, okay, well, if they have a one-to-one work to rest ratio and I'm using a 10 to one work to one or one to 10 to one work to rest ratio, then there's that extra uh, 10 or 20% even of, of mass that I should throw into my bell just to kind of keep an even, even playing field. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Uh, what is that? What is that literature? Um, what is that based on, or what is that going for, or what is that proving? I guess is. So when you look at it, is so that like improving in strength, or yeah, so a lot of it is is uh, sprint performance. Mm. Um, a lot of it is aerobic. So they'll usually use the snatch instead of the swing when they're looking at something like VO two max, because you can just accumulate a ton of reps. It's kind of what it's what the Russian hard style program is based on is the snatch. The more aerobic they want to make it the shorter the work and the shorter the rest, but it's always one-to-one. So in other words, if it's an aerobic study, it'll probably be 15 seconds on 15 seconds off for 20 or 30 minutes. Right. And that's going to show improvements in VO two max because you're going to get that heart going like crazy. Right. Especially if you're doing snatches. Um, if they're looking at something like strength, they will usually use uh, a force plate and you can tell that sometimes they just keep, they see the trend line that they want to see. So they keep making it heavier. So one study looked at the kettlebell swing on a force plate with a, with a 32 kilo bell, and found that it actually produced more force than a back squat at, um, mm. I think it was a back squat. It, it was rather light. It might've been 80% of one RM. So something you could probably do eight to 10 times. Mm. Um, but it was more, and then they actually made the back squat into a jump squat and they still produced more force with the 32 kilo kettlebell swing on the force plate. So sometimes it's strength, sometimes it's sprint performance, uh, sometimes, like I said, it's, it's alternating, it's weaving it into elite strength and conditioning and seeing if performance declines. Oh. So is this a viable way to maintain performance while, while athletes are on the road as an example? Gotcha. Um, so these are the types of things you're looking at. Interesting. Um, dude, I have to, fortunately or unfortunately, we got to go run and see this puppy. <laughs> um, so would you be down to do uh, a part two where we, cause I want to, I really want to talk to you about breathing and kettlebell work. I want to talk to you about, you know, sort of the, the um, synergistic effect of nasal breathing, breath, holding kettlebell work, fasting, all yeah. of the above. All weaves in together. Yeah, dude. So, um, I hate to, I hate to just cut it, but I, I no, got to run to this thing and I appreciate you so much, man. Yeah, no, it's all good. Evan. just let me know when you want to do part two and we'll, we'll keep the conversation going. Awesome, bro. I'll hit you up uh, a little later today. Okay. All right, man. All right. Thanks brother. Yep. See you, Evan. Later.
Joe, we're back in the saddle. Back. A week later, a storm later. Yeah. Well, you were just telling me a little bit about what you've been dealing with because you live in Texas. And I thought that that would be just a good place to start, man, of what you've been going through and what that's been like. Yeah, well, you know, we we picked a great time to move to Texas, right? We've been here, <laughs> like, we've literally been here two months. <laughs> um, so, so it was bizarro, right? Like, I was just kind of in shock. And, you know, growing up in Boston, I, I, it didn't phase me in terms of, like, yeah, like it's cold out, but it was just kind of confusing, right? It's like, mm. you know, it's it's just not what you expect. But, you know, I think we were so damn fortunate because, you know, our house lost water just like everyone else. Uh, and that comes with it a certain, you know, pain in the ass, but like we never lost power. And that was mm. my, we, well, when we were recording, I think it like, like spit for a second or like, uh-huh. you know, we had one of those like flash outages or whatever. But, you know, people around here were, you know, lost it for a week and it was just insane. But, well, the interesting thing is, I think that for me, for us, I was like uber prepared for something. And I don't know, like, I just like happened to have like a lot of meat in the freezer and Mm. uh, probably 10 gallons of water in the garage and Mm. just things to like like you never know type stuff. And, you know, when we moved here, I just like stocked up on some stuff, you know, it was Mm. just kind of something I did just because, you know, the election, like, I didn't know if we didn't want to go to the grocery store for a couple of weeks, I wanted that kind of option. Mm -hmm. So we probably had food in the house for three weeks or a month if Mm. we had to. Right. But the funny thing is, is, you know, uh, I think I might've mentioned to you at one point, like my in-laws live in Europe. We just got back from a year in Europe. So they had the first six months of my son's life shared with them, right? But we just left two months ago. Hmm. And so my in-laws and, like, my wife's whole family were, were, like, beside themselves just missing the baby, right? So they planned this, like, surprise visit and, no joke, arrived, like, the day it started getting a little chilly. But here's the thing, man, like my food supply like we didn't outside of the water thing and showering and all those complications they just wanted to sit in the house and see the baby and Mm -hmm. we didn't need food or water really you know until the last couple of days so we just lucked out and i think it's to me it's just like always have a couple of weeks of food in your house and like it's as easy as like you know five or six pounds of white rice and you know five or six pounds of meat in the freezer and you know i joke Mm -hmm. in a jug of whey protein like you're (laughs) You're totally. good. And, um, yeah. So I think, you know, we were obviously in the fortunate um, little circle here that didn't lose power because that's just devastating. I mean, yeah. my son, I don't know what we would have done. It was, you know, challenging to get a hotel. We probably would have just kind of got on the road and tried to find somewhere with some heat. But Christ, it was also, you know, no gas. But that was the other thing. I, got a, I had a full tank of gas in my truck. Like, mm. it was just like, so weird how we just like hit it right and and honestly we were not all that affected Mm. um outside of being are you do you are you in in a neighborhood or are you are yeah we are in a a, like a you know a new kind of development so um you're in austin yeah 
Yeah. Austin's so. blowing up, right? Because everybody's leaving California. <laughs> everybody's leaving California and Seattle. Yeah, I was at Whole Foods. I was at Whole Foods, and uh, every third car had a California plate. Oh my god! Like, I was walking walking down the line. It was like every third car, and they were all Teslas. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like this is awesome. Like this, yeah, this is pretty funny. Um, but yeah. You know, <laughs> It was it was a bit of a mess, but honestly, we we you know we did pretty well and um, yeah. It was well, good fun. man. I'm glad to hear that. But I got a story for you. Yeah. My in-laws, they're going back to Europe, mm. which is not easy right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want me to tell the whole story in the podcast, but basically, whatever you want to tell. All right, well, I'll tell the story. <laughs> COVID thing. So. My father-in-law. Wait, what's COVID? (laughs) It's it's the latest trend in, in, you know, pop culture. Um, Yeah. But basically, it was unbelievably, um, it was just an unbelievable hassle for my uh, in-laws to get out of here because they were leaving uh, Texas. I think it's 72 hours. You got to have a COVID test before. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, their destination in Europe was Germany, and Germany requires that your test is within 48 hours of landing in Germany. So their flight was delayed because of the storm, Oh, God. And it voided their COVID test. Oh, God. No joke. Like, they had to get three rounds of COVID tests for the whole family at a cost of $300 a test. Right. So it was an extra three, four thousand dollars. Jesus, just to navigate the COVID. So they got like all these, all these COVID tests. I'll tell you one funny thing, and it's so <laughs> bizarre. So they go to this, uh, they go to the COVID testing site, and they they get the test done, man. And it's funny because like my, you know, my brother-in-law is like in his teens and whatever else, and my my father-in-law gives me the results. They tested him for like. 50 things like chlamydia was on there they tested them for everything and this is like the airport covid test weird what are they doing testing you for COVID? (laughs) like you gotta walk into the airport and be like no that one's cool i could fly with that one yeah (laughs) yeah but anyway just the whole thing is just madness but holy shit dude yeah interesting um oh my god traveling right now I just did this road trip up to Montana and it's interesting going through Nevada, Utah, Idaho, Montana, and seeing this arc of this range of COVID awareness. Like you go to Montana and it's like, yeah, they have a sign on the door that says like mask required, but you walk in, nobody's wearing a mask. (laughs) You know, like you go anywhere, it's people are like, I mean, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? And uh, it's just really interesting the difference in people's thinking about it in the different regions you go to, you know, and like California and LA, literally, uh, you know, I'm looking out, we're having these renovations done in our bedroom and our bathrooms. Uh, so my my workspace is now in the living room looking out our big window 
And all day, all I see are people walking by outside, not surrounded by anyone with one, maybe two masks on. And I'm just like, okay, I guess here we are, you know, and you know, I, that, that, that I, that's a conversation I don't want to fucking get into because I've gotten into it and it takes me down a really dark rabbit hole of frustration and anger, but it's just fascinating, man. It's like people who are closer to nature are just much more or much are filled with much less fear. Interesting, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? And here we are in these metropolitan places and you lived in LA. I live, I've lived in LA for a lot of my life. I'm from New York city. My dad just left Brooklyn after living there for 40 years to move to Arizona. It's like the people in the metropolitan areas who are these self-proclaimed intellectuals are the ones who are just cloaked in fear. And it's just like, I don't understand you know, this, this revelation that's happening. Isn't it amazing? And like people are moving to the, you know, the fucking people who were, you know, the, my body, my choice people are moving to the red States. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? It's, it is bizarro, my man. And it is, um, gosh, I mean, it's a deep rabbit hole, but I, yeah. you know, I think if I was eating impossible burgers every night, I'd probably be cloaked in something too. Or oh like, my God. You know, it's the whole, it's the whole thing, you know, it's, but I just, there's this. And ultimately, I mean, we can, we can chalk it up in a few different ways, but also I would say that the people with, you know, the, the living in fear or the people with uh, kind of more to demonstrate what they're mm. doing, you know, mm-hmm. the ego there's a whole righteousness whole righteousness thing and a whole kind of projecting uh you know i want you to know how i vote how i think who i am there's also this i think politically you know since the beginning of time it's guilt that has to be proven not innocence right so but these these projections of how you think and all the because they've associated so much if you don't wear a mask you're also a, B, C, D, E, F, G. Right, right, yeah. And yep. so that's kind of the reason there's this, like, they're, like, stating their benignness to society, allegedly, through the mask. Yeah. Because they care about you more than they care about themselves. There's this whole just yeah messy situation. But when you go to Montana, the thing is, I freaking love Montana. Love it. You hang love with it. guys, and you go to a bar in Montana, and you drink a beer or something, like, you're sitting with a real man. Like they yeah. don't make those in LA. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, so, and, the, and the crazy thing is that guy from Montana could come, probably come to LA, have a beer and like be a member of the conversation, yeah. or be a contributor, but don't drop some guy from LA with his triple dipple mask and his, yeah. his uh, face shield into a bar in Montana. Like, right. You, you just can't hang. Yeah, so exactly. Well, it's a, it's a, I think it's an interesting exposure of humanity. You know, I, I, uh, I know this is going in a direction, but I just want to touch on it because, and I think this is important with a guy like you, especially because I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but like me, 
I would probably say you have a great appreciation for science as a craft, right? As a instrument, as a tool for expanding awareness and understanding about nature, ourselves, how things work, etc. Now you walk around my neighborhood and you see a lot of these these signs in people's yards that say all kinds of things, but one in particular that always sticks out to me is science is real. <laughs> and I'm like, what science are we talking about here? You know, because a lot of the science that I, what I'm guessing you are talking about is science that's coming from corporations who have vested interests in very particular messaging that's coming through the media channels that these corporations sponsor and pay for, you know, we're not, you know, and so it's like people, like people are so quick to go, well, science is real. It's science. It's like, well, but you're not, what you're talking about is not science. Like what I'm interested, I'm interested in science. I, I believe in science. I think it's a great thing to like look through a microscope, get a feeling of how, things on the fucking atomic and subatomic levels work, how particles function, molecules, etc. I'm all in. Give me it. Give me the science. Let me know. Like when we're talking about what a fucking kettlebell swings do for your physiology and your cardiovascular system and your blood flow and your brain function. Let's talk about all that science. But we're not talking about that science. You know what I mean? Like the science, it's science that masks work, is it? Because I just saw a study out of Denmark that tested like 5,000 people on how ineffective and even uh, maybe even dangerous mask wearing is for healthy people. I don't know. So now what science are we talking about now? I don't know. You know, it's just like. So Dr. Thomas Cowan, who is awesome, um, he shared a, a, a. I don't know if he wrote it or if it was uh, something that someone else had written that he shared. But when they're referring to the scientific consensus, not science, but the sort of the scientific con consensus says that we should have egg white. I mean, egg white English muffins for breakfast. Right? Mm. That's that's the scientific consensus, a whole grain piece of bread with egg whites on it is the scientific consensus of healthy nutrition. But the actual science is up mm. for interpretation, and people like you and I would rather have, like, fatty coffees and, and things yep. like this. And so I think part of the danger, and that's that shame, that's that, like, shame, like, that, that like, you know, I, I like to say, like, when, like, you and I, we're on the same wavelength, right? That's, mm. that's what we say these days, right? Like, we're right. on the same wavelength. But we're literally on the same wavelength, right? right. Because you emitted an oh a frequency that I picked up on and I emitted a frequency that you picked up on. And then we, and now we're hanging out. Yeah. So that's how people find each other. Mm. But mm -hmm. they're kind of like going through, there's this dangerous thing. And interestingly, you know, like Trump did the same thing. You think back to uh, like, you know, 2016. Yeah. Whenever he talked about the wall, he would say like, we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. So mm. people started arguing about who's going to pay for it. So that's an anchoring tactic in speech, mm. right? So mm -hmm. 
all of a sudden the wall is already built because we got something else to argue about and it's and it's who's going to pay for it so if you think about the sign you're referring to and i've seen it it says we believe in science or science is real life is water <laughs> so so they say stuff that like like you can't have that right that's like saying the sky is blue and any if if science was so concrete that nothing would ever evolve and change yeah consensus and when we look i've talked a lot on social about the food pyramid oh my god it didn't change for 40 years and every decade the most extreme levels of obesity doubled during that time so until the internet and podcasts and smart people interpreting science and building a platform to which they could share to a large number of people to actually shift the public perception or the or the collective consciousness or the awareness of the full picture of the science rather than the very minuscule scientific consensus which is basically fauci Mm. We Mm -hmm. would, we'd still be eating gluten, man. We'd still be eating garbage. We'd still be eating processed food, which is exactly what they want, which is why they're trying to quiet the internet because they need people to believe the scientific consensus. And well, how about this, Joe? How about the fucking, however many hundreds of years ago, the scientific consensus was the fucking sun revolved around the earth. Like we'd still be there. Meanwhile, New York Times is publishing articles about how critical thinking is exacerbating the misinformation problem. It's like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? That's a good question. What the fuck are you talking about? People who are close to me, I have been like on, I've seen them, you know, and I can't engage because I'm like, it just creates too many issues. You know, I have to see these people. I have to fucking, you know, be around them. And it's fine. I'm not here to like, I've already through this whole process of COVID, I've realized how I can't really change anyone's mind. You know, I can just sort of offer my perspective, be the light, be the change that I wish to see in the world, as was once said by a very wise man. And just, like, allow someone to find their way to it if that's, you know, and also, like, hey, man, if we disagree, great, you know. Just don't try to put me in this thing with you. Don't try to make me do what you want me to do. Now we're having, now we're going to have problems. Um, But people talking about, like, people who I know personally who have taken on professions life paths in the scientific field and various capacities who are sharing articles from forbes saying things like like there was an article in for that forbes published months ago that was like literally the headline was don't think for yourself i remember that and i wanted to say to this guy i was like dude is that what you would say to your 12 year old self when you were taking apart computers and fucking figuring out how to build them back together by yourself. Is that what you would say to your 12 year old self? Don't think for yourself, little guy, because that's dangerous. Now. Okay. Uh, All right. I mean, if that's really what you believe, man, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say. 
Because if we're teaching our kids not to think for themselves, what the fuck are we doing? We're teaching our kids to be robots? Is that because that's what it looks like to me? You know, you can talk about whatever. It's like, oh, you know, you don't believe in vaccines or you don't believe in masks or you don't believe in this and that and et cetera, et cetera. But like, so why can't we have conversations about these things? Are we, we're just, are we all supposed to think the same way? We're all supposed to be fucking robots in the name of what? In the name, you're, because, because it looks to me like you're coming, you're, your opinion is you're you're masquerading around in this righteous compat this righteous pseudo compassion like we don't want to it's we have to take care of each other like bullshit you want to just make everybody look the same i don't understand anyway i don't know i was on a rant I'm pretty juiced up myself. I got a nitro in nootropics. I did a little micro dose earlier. Fucking right, man. Yeah, man. It's this, that the mask in many ways is projecting how you want to save the world. But the mask is like patting them on the back as they take every step, right? Right. So there's this massive ego involvement. And I do it's very tough, and I, I think that, to me, it is mind-blowing because I think it's kind of how you know that people are just brainwashed because they all say the exact same thing in response to the exact same question, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if a 10-year-old was thought, you know, taught critical thinking, they could unravel the logic pretty easily. Um, but mm-hmm. kind of to your earlier point, it's, it's kind of why back in, like, May, June – Mm. I was on Instagram, like, end this masquerade. I actually called it the masquerade with a K, uh-huh. right? Masquerade. <laughs> yeah. Because it was kind of insulting. You know, I don't consider myself a man of science like, you know, uh, like guys that would maybe say that they're – but my undergrad's in science. I'm an exercise physiologist. Right. I, I study this for a living and as a passion. And, you know, like my – you know, getting censored when I'm talking about vitamin D. The funny thing is I was the first guy in a mask. That's way so before, funny. Way before COVID, I because I live in LA, so I was like, dude, the freak! Do you see the air quality today? Like, I would uh-huh. actually have masks at home for my pregnant wife because in LA, if you watch like purple air, mm. like, the air can get so bad, especially oh, in yeah. Venice. Yeah. And so, I in 2019, I had looked at a lot of the mask research that was out there because I was using it to not breathe in the toxic pollution in LA. Mm. Also, what I I have an Instagram post you can find. Joe, this is hysterical, dude. What? Just it's so ironic. It's it's, it's beautiful. So like this is right. beautiful, man. Like you, you know, you're just yeah. Keep going. I had a, a picture on my Facebook or Instagram that like I started. I put a popsicle stick between my teeth because that basically forces you to nose breathe. Mm. And mm-hmm. then I put N95 masks on, and I was like. This is how you prepare for altitude. Mm. Nose breathe with a popsicle stick between your teeth in a mask. Mm. And I had looked at a lot of the mask research and, and came to the conclusion that they're useless with viruses, but they can actually help with some of this air pollution and junk mm. right? because some of that is, is large enough. The, the truth is a mask is like a chain link fence keeping mosquitoes out of your yard. It's not right. even 
close, which is now why it's like, well, you need a dozen masks now. <laughs> so, but I think the most dangerous thing ever in regards to the, the critical thinking piece, and one of the most dangerous things in all of the scientific consensus going back 40 years is when new, new evidence emerges, they find a way to interpret it to support their previous conclusion. Mm. So if, if new evidence comes out that, uh, you know, why do elderly people live longer the higher their LDL cholesterol is? We're all trying to get guys like you and I to get the lowest, if we could just get our cholesterol to zero, but how come in older adults, the higher their cholesterol, the longer they live? Clearly, the cholesterol is related to the immune system, mm. right? Clearly, there's more here. But they just like they just bury that science or like interpret it as well. They're just it's coincidental causation. Right. Correlation doesn't mean cause. Well, no, like. Right. There's they've gone too far. Yeah. And in the case of the modern era, um, they they're going all in right now. They're oh, yeah. Going all in. This is this is the temper tantrum because guys like you and myself and others have put such a dent in their objective which is to get every person before the age of 12 on two prescription drugs or whatever the numbers are. Mm. Uh, they've had these, they have these stated goals that every person needs to be on two drugs. They've got, I can't quite remember them. It's been a while, but like they're trying to achieve those goals. And um, this is like, you know, I think. Joe, who is, cause I, I had a conversation. I had a really deep, I did a podcast yesterday with my brother about the cultural lunacy and the pseudo intellectualism. And that, that pronoun would emerge from my mouth occasionally. I'd say they, they want this. And, you know, I've examined that because it's like, who is the they? And my brother said yesterday, I forget what it was in particular. I was talking about, I saw an article about how breastfeeding is leading to gender inequality. And there's this like whole language thing, dude. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't. But then, because my thing is like, who the fuck, who is spending their time? Because it's strange. You know, and my brother had a really great point. And he's a guy I really trust. And I, he's very, he has a very high level of awareness and um, we have tons of great conversations and he's definitely on this wavelength as well. But he goes, you know, man, I think the most people would hear that and go, that's insane. Like most people would think are not that crazy or that far wherever. I don't even know like where that is. You know what I mean? In the spectrum of consciousness, like because there are these hospitals in the United Kingdom that are starting to, they're changing the terminology from breastfeeding to chest feeding because they feel like it creates all of these societal problems. And I'm just like, uh, you know, so I use that as kind of a mechanism of diving into this cultural lunacy. And like, why is, uh, why are academics at universities, very high level, Johns Hopkins University, Fucking University of Pennsylvania. Um, God, what is this? Um, hold on, dude. The fuck, man? There you are. Um, why are we writing these 
research articles on topics like this. Like what? But there's clearly like me, dude, I'm a super, I'm sh- I know you are too. Um, meditation, self-reflection, breath work, like my inner life, this is my life work, like coming to terms, unfolding, processing all of this shit. And it's just like, the more you pay attention, the weirder it gets. You can't help but go, why in the fuck are we talking about this? Why in the fuck is fucking Congress putting through legislation to take out the terms father, husband, wife, sister, brother? Like, why are we spending time on this? God. God, Yeah, like, why? So, like, who is it, man? Like, who is, I guess, I guess there's, like, to me, it kind of boils down to, and you hear Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talk about this, the, who I love, I mean. We, we I th- used to hear RFK talking about it. Right, I know. Th- <laughs> yeah, thanks to Instagram. I, They've stripped it fucking, from both platforms at this point. Which, I don't know, man. If you're someone who thinks that's acceptable or in any way makes any sense, I'm just like, I, I don't know what to say to you, man. Because you're literally, we're, we're literally venturing down that road of tyrannical authoritarian dictatorships. You know, and it's run in this case by big technology companies. Um, but he he would what's the term he uses? Um, it's not the shadow elite; it's the deep state. Yeah. It's big oil, big pharma, big tech, big food. Like these are sort of the this is the deep state that kind of orchestrates all of the legislation. And when you look at it, and if you've read that book, Sapiens, he does a great job of breaking down how lawyers are in many ways the new age wizards because they write these these documents up that create the structure of the society that we live in. And it's all sort of, you know, immaterial, invisible lines that get drawn, you know. Um, so, you know, if you talk about some of this shit on, on social media, it's like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, but I'm not saying anything that isn't true or real or happening. You know what I mean? So like when you say someone has, someone is really trying hard to get every person on this planet to be on two prescription medications before they're, you know, 15 years old or whatever it is, which makes sense. I mean, I I have young cousins who are on anti-anxiety and antidepressant medications. I'm like, dude, who are these therapists? What are we doing? What happened to the fucking, you know, let's forget about the fucking Hippocratic oath in medicine. Let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. Do we even learn about nutrition in medical school? No. I mean, yeah. my wife, my wife came home the other day and she was listening to this podcast with this guy who's a DO. Um, and he was talking about all of these things, like all of these holistic naturopathic remedies for all sorts of things. Like even going deep on like bipolar shit. Right. 
and saying how lithium is a total scam. And you could basically, there's a whole massive documented research on microdosing lithium and people are being prescribed way too much. And no, no one even talks about this. Um, and she was like, Eb, he was saying all these things that you do all the time. <laughs> like, she's like, he mentioned all these products. And, and, I, and she said to me, I thought this was like one of the greatest compliments my wife has ever given me. And she said, and I'm thinking to myself, God, this guy's gone to school for so long. And Eb just knows all this stuff. And I was like, well, you know, I played pro football. My body was my life, is my life, has been my life for as long as I can remember. I've paid fucking attention. I've been in the medical system. I've been in the pharmaceutical system. I've taken just about every drug you could possibly think of and fucking felt what it's done to me. I've tried every food eating regimen I could possibly get my hands on. Like... I don't know. I'm just being a human. Like I'm just paying attention. I, I don't know. I like, it's not fucking, it's not, you know, it's not a miracle. I'm not a fucking, I don't know. You know? Yeah, man. Well, you probably had great parents. You probably didn't drink tap water and didn't get flu shots. I mean, there you go. Your brain's in, in pretty good shape. And I think, um, I mean, I, it's so interesting. And anytime I hear, you know, uh, these, you know, a lot of these docs kind of come out, including some of the real popular ones and talk about grounding or sunlight. And it is the stuff that you and I know because we intuited it. Right. And it's a lot of these docs. Remember, it took them a long time to get their medical license. Then they probably were a conventional pill popping pill pill prescription writing doc for three decades and then finally when it's on trend kind of said hey maybe i should start some of my patients know more than i do maybe i should start writing five books a year about you know uh, <laughs> paleo diet the vegan diet so anytime i see a doc these days you know guys like us that pay attention to our bodies that allow our intuition to exist that think critically and that listen to real smart people and, you know, all these podcasts that you and I listen to and our friends and our circles, like these are the guys that, you know, I joke that Ben G is my freaking doctor. I don't go to a doctor. I don't, what am I? Yeah, doing? no doubt. You know, so, um, no, I, I think it's interesting. And I think one of the most important things right now, like to me, I learned when I was like talking about the masquerade and all that, like this ship is kind of sailing these, you know, big oil, big tech, big x y and z right chances are like behind those things there's even fewer things and they're all the same pocketbooks you know what i mean they're all the mm. same they're all the same wallets and i was talking to uh, some people about this just over when we were in quarantine here and there's a it doesn't make any sense because we don't have the full picture mm. so in other words we don't know why the UK, you know, might leave the European Union or whatever's going on over there. But don't think it's not part of this whole agenda right. and this whole plan. You're going to find out in 10 years why they're, why they're doing this. Mm. So when we try to figure it out now, we are so far. Even who's the president? Like, it's so far. That is just like a queen of England at this point. <laughs> Is the people that are really pulling the strings, we don't have any awareness of them, and obviously Gates and whoever. 
but you'll drive right. yourself crazy if you try to figure it out because it makes no logical sense and then right. you could unravel the logic of some of these things. Yep. So, but interestingly, I mean, I think that this madness, again, I said earlier, like led you to me and, and a lot of these tribes, a lot of my most, you know, I've got some tight relationships right now and they got a lot tighter over the last year because all of a sudden there was a real qualification. There was a real filter into who we're going to listen to. And I think kids, yeah. especially pro athletes, man, like we learned, like we got to be careful who we let our kids look up to. Mm. And um, it's, it's, it's an interesting time, but I'm actually kind of excited just to, to watch. And I don't have a TV. And I, <laughs> I try not to like pay attention because it it will just drive you b- bananas. Yeah. Um, but one interesting I wanted to talk thing I wanted to tack on. I know you did a podcast on um um one of Hawk and Powerverse Force. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in his um transcending what's it called transcending the levels of consciousness. Yes. Uh, the green one, right? He's got like uh-huh. ten of these books. I think it's it's either chapter thirteen or eighteen. My my brain's just you know I can see it. He talks about exactly what the question is you're asking in terms of how do these academics think this way? How do these, uh, you know, how do these, how do they get there? And why are we seeing mm. guys in girls sports? Why, why are they talking about sex changes for five-year-olds that say they don't want to be the gender that they are instead of just seeing what shakes out? And the answer I believe it is an attack on God, spirit, force. These, whoever it is, whoever they is, whoever they are, they want to create a scenario that we are utilitarian. One plus one equals two puppets. We are ants in an ant farm. There's nothing beyond us. There's nothing after this life. So they're creating this, this fear of death to control people to limit critical thinking and the term is moral relativism Mm. uh, that he describes in this book. And essentially moral relativism is what infiltrated the schools in the, I believe the nineties that has just gone, just run amok, but essentially it's an attack on the 10 commandments. So Mm. most of the United States, even it doesn't matter what religion you are, but, most of the U.S. thinks, be kind to your neighbor, love mm-hmm. your wife, right? So most of us are guided by these morals that are pretty much the Ten Commandments. Right. And they want to get rid of all that. They want to get rid of all that because if you get rid of right and wrong, you decide what right and wrong is. And all of a sudden, the world is your oyster and you can manipulate whatever you want to do. You can essentially make a case for anything that you want to do. And the last thing I'll just tack on that most of the time, what they want to do is due to something else, not due to the thing that you think they're doing. So in other words, if they're trying to create a, you know, this gender, this entire gender thing, getting people so divided and confused is the goal. Uh huh. Yeah. Not necessarily that they give a shit what it says on the bathroom door. Right, right. But whatever chaotic shit that comes out of that argument puts people into a scenario that they can control or the scenario that they want. And trust me, 
they have, uh, this is, you know, I kind of realized pretty fast how the opposition is great. Um, it's, it's almost to me like that inner, that inner voice, that inner spirit, that inner guidance is all we have because fighting yeah. a battle, especially publicly is very challenging and exhausting. And, um, I don't want to, I don't like touching it with a 10 foot pole on social media or anything like that. Cause it's just like not worth my energy, but it's also, there's this, mm. It, it, it's it's a really it's it's just a, a it's a mind blowing time for sure. But I think yeah. interestingly, there's this people are starting to wake up. I mean, yeah. people. I mean, we've been saying it for a year, but it's true. Um, every day. So I'm excited. I'm kind of excited. I'm watching this thing like a Netflix movie, right? Like a. I'm watching this like a like holy totally. smokes. People because it doesn't make any sense. So don't try to figure it out. It's like yeah. the definition of insanity is Absolutely. Like trying to make sense of why the person in charge of the health of the country is a, is trying to get sex changes for five-year-olds like it. But anyways, I think it's an attack on God and an attack on spirit and attack on. Uh, That's so interesting. I got to read that. I, I haven't read that power verse force literally fucking. It might have saved my life during COVID because I read it and I was like, wow. Well, it makes sense. It, it may, it's why. so, it's so profound just in how he, and, and some, there's a guiding principle in that, that when you apply it to everything that's happening, you go, oh, it can really only shake out a certain way. Right. Because when, something is a movement is created through force it inherently creates resistance and it cannot sustain itself there's no there's not enough energy to keep it going you know and that just like blew my mind and that kind of like but i'm gonna have to read that one because that is so it's really interesting, man. Like when you took, when you look at politics, it's, I mean, I've never really been interested in politics and un, until like lately when I've sort of been just because of what I believe in as a human being, I've been thrust into like political, right? like a political environment atmosphere of politicized topics. And to me, when I, when you look back, when you just take a look at politics, it's just like weaponized topics, mm -hmm. religion, uh, fucking guns, uh, you know, all the whole moral spectrum. It's just been weaponized to turn people against each other. And what you just said about how it's not even like who get, I know because you look at the politicians, it's like, you think they give a fuck? like what gender people are or like <laughs> how you identify or what bad, like, no, they didn't, they do not give a fuck about that. They care about making people totally confused, scared, angry, and divided because then you get to control people. It was like, I was having this really, my wife and I had this, we, we took a trip to Arizona last week to see my dad. And uh, we start talking about student debt. 
And I feel super blessed because I had a full ride scholarship to play football and like, I don't have any fucking debt, you know, and only being married to my wife, being with my wife for the last fuck, like 12 years almost now. I've seen like just just the the mess that student debt is like, you know, because she went to law school and she's kicking ass as a lawyer, has her own practice, the whole thing. But, you know, like the student debt payments are a big deal. So she was started talking about how, you know, I guess Biden just like struck down the relief that they had proposed. And my wife said something that was fascinating. She goes, you know. That's fine that they strike down these these relief deals for the student debt, but no one ever talks about the interest rates that are on top of these. Like, she's like, I pay 5% interest rate. I know people who pay like 8 plus percent interest rates. So you're just underneath this debt your whole life. She's like, why, why does nobody ever talk about reducing it to like 1% interest rate or just paying it back, you know? And I was like, wow, once again, another, another validation of the fact that they don't give a fuck about helping anybody. Because she said to me, you know, because I don't really pay attention. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm just not interested in political happenings. Right. And, you know, she was like, no one ever talks about the fact that these interest rates are astronomical for these people who are already under hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt. And I was like, well, that's because they don't actually care about doing anything about it. It's just a selling point to get votes. Everything has to be so sensationalized, right? So to, to your point, right? If they actually wanted to help people, some of those trillions of dollars would have been sending vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D packs to every single household <laughs> in America. No, it's not sexy to be like, we're going to reduce interest rates. And that's not going to get anyone elected. Right, exactly. Get rid of all student debt. Yeah. But that's the thing. But here's the deal, Evan. You know, it's interesting because hearing you talk, it's like, dude, you're going to get so sick of this that you're going to run for mayor or something. Like, I know. That, and I said that to M like, yeah. maybe, I don't know, six months ago. I'm like, I, in 2021. You're going to see some bizarro people start to run for different offices. Totally, dude. People are sick of this shit. And you look at the, you know, the House or the Senate. These are guys that's been sitting in that seat for like way too long and they make careers out of it, right? Nancy Pelosi is like dissolving before our eyes. It's like, what? who is this person? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's totally Mitch McConnell is like melting. Right. Like, who are you? What? Oh my God! Brian Rose in the UK is running for mayor. Pete Evans in Australia is running for Senate. Like this is so. When we say like there's this disaster, like there's this massive car wreck happening right now. This is the temper tantrum of these elite, these these groups, the they that you said. We're witnessing the temper tantrum. Power versus force, right? Mm. They cannot keep this up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you look at, you know. Uh, I was dying, uh, you know, when when I don't want to make this specifically political, but it's just a fact when I was watching like Biden's like U.S. like plan for America like, the <laughs> day he was inaugurated. He had like three or four thousand concurrence on YouTube. I'm like, dude, like 
I can get that yeah. on Instagram. Like, like these numbers. And then you look at somebody like, you know, some of these other guys that have platforms, maybe they're just talking about exercise or health. They'll have like 20,000 concurrence. Yeah. So like this power versus force thing, like I know the light will win. Yeah. And it's way too, the thing about the, the frequency Evan, and, and I've talked mm. about this a few times on a few podcasts. Like I really, I see it this way and it's, it's just like the Hawkins scale, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're vibrating at a 400 or, you know, these numbers don't even matter. If you're vibrating at a frequency, you are going to attract things in that attractor field and yeah. repel things outside of that attractor field. Now they're trying really hard to get more and more and more people into the lower vibrations because yep. then they're going to be more susceptible to suggestion and mm. manipulation and going and getting your thing. And the last thing I'll tack on with the, um, uh, with the, the airport fiasco that we started this conversation with the other interesting thing is every time you go get a COVID test, right? You have an interview, you got to sit in the parking lot and then they come out and they like, come get you. Sometimes they do the test right in the window, but there's this series of questions prior to every one of these things. And I just like, was in the car for 20 tests in the last week. It's the same script. It's the same script every single test. And what is it? The, and you listen to the words that they're using. This is a, a marketing. I used to sell personal training and I used uh -huh. to write scripts and I took Sandler sales training. And, mm. you know, it's don't say your name when you pick up the phone because you want to control that conversation. So if uh -huh. I say, uh, ultimate athlete, how, how can I help you? You're going to say something. I'm going to get your name before you have my name and I can control the conversation in a way that's going to get you in the door. Mm -hmm. When I was hearing this conversation, there was a lot of that, mm. including things like, have you had your flu shot yet? <sighs> have you? So yeah. when you, yeah. when you think about like my mom who may or may not have done that yet, um, right she's going to be manipulated by that because you're actually creating a scenario where she feels in lack or she feels right. like she's doing something, et cetera. Yep. Yep. And I think that type of thing. And, and the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll say on this is that um, when you look at now the new campaign, and by the way, if there was a pandemic that, and the vaccine, like you wouldn't have to con people into getting the vaccine. You wouldn't have to have a multi-billion dollar marketing strategy to get people to take a drug for an illness. If there was an illness, Right. Mm -hmm. So there's this is power versus force. If if you had our trust, you wouldn't need the marketing. Right. You don't have our trust and you have less of it every day. Now you have to come up with coercive, persuasive spiels to get people in. But this new like when it's your turn thing right. with the vaccine, that's the <laughs> that's the lead with your ego and pat yourself on the back as you do it. Yeah. When is it our turn to eat fucking healthy? Like right. That when was it that guy? When was it our turn to stop drinking tap water? When is it your turn to stop putting fluoride in the water? Right. Is it, right. If we're going to talk about our turn, let's talk about our turn. Yeah. Because you guys are freaking, you know. <laughs> no, it's amazing right now. It's so, a... But watch the movie, man. The good guys win. It's a. Uh, yeah. Every then... good movie. Yep. has you in this place where you're like, 
oh, fuck, I think the bad guy might win this thing. Yeah, fuck, and then all dude. Of a sudden, Superman bursts in, and I know, I know, it's totally true, man. What Alan Watts always he he says it really beautifully. It's like it's and it's all kind his whole philosophy or his whole idea about this is very uh based in hinduism and and zen or mixture thereof where it's basically like it's like a 51 to 49 balance light and darkness at this stage at least because we're in this kali yuga which is the total destruction of everything and then we we transcend it and we come into the age of love and apparently this age of darkness the kali yuga which is like the total destruction phase uh ends in 2024 so it's like we're we're kind of coming to a a head on this and you can feel that like you feel it um the final totally totally man it's totally true and it's really interesting it you know i i always like having this discussion with my brother yesterday you know we're big into like ram das and alan watts and just like I really lean with my spiritual side. It's one of my gifts as a Libra though, at my astrological makeup is like, I've got one foot in the material world and I've got one foot in the ethereal, you know, I'm kind of at my best when I'm grounded, but my head is kind of always in the clouds. And, um, but even this, just all of this, like gets me really hot. Like I get really fucking fired up and it's not even necessarily arguing one point or the other right now. What I find is it's, it's the lack of allowance of a conversation that gets me really pissed off and heated, you know? Um, The opposition has been well-trained to shame you very quickly. So they've created a scenario where the prisoners are the police, mm, right? mm -hmm. And so if you try to get them out of prison, they're, they're very well trained at, at keeping themselves in those in those things. And and I'm I'm with you on the Alan Watson. But I think in the in the Hindu after this temper tantrum, what's the I'm blanking on the um the ten arms um um Kali Yeah. Is, um Kali Kali and Shiva. I mean uh, Shiva. Yeah, Shiva comes in and fucking wipes the whole thing clean. Yeah. She's like or he I don't know if Shiva's a he he's a he kali is his wife and but he tells you this has all been a dream yeah yeah at the end yeah so just hold out for that man like yeah 2024 like you and i could just keep podcasting hanging out swinging kettlebells and yeah you know, shiva will show up and we'll be like fucking right now i can like go outside of the math all right all right let's do it <laughs> <laughs> no shit dude well i wanted this whole thing to be about breathing and uh and uh fasting and kettlebells and shit but i think this was so good um one thing i'll ask you because i think this is really important especially in the to sort of round out the conversation to give somebody a key why why is you talk about this a lot why is nasal breathing so important because to me the whole thing the whole performance breaks down if you've spent time breathing and being really in touch with your breath because you put a mask on for 30 seconds and you start breathing and you're like i can't fucking breathe 
I don't know how somebody walks around all day with a mask on because you literally, I start to feel the heat. I feel moisture. I'm breathing in shit that I feel like I shouldn't intuitively. I'm like, I should not be breathing this in. And I feel like I only have that awareness because I do so much breath work and so much just intentional breathing. And I'm curious, I'd like you to just speak on, just to, to close this thing out, speak on the importance of nasal breathing, when you should do it, why you should do it, and what it does. Got it. And I'll tack on, maybe this will be profound and maybe I'll sound stupid. <laughs> I think you're a woke, intuitive guy. You know, you know what danger is. You spent your life, you put your life on the line, you uh, played a very physical sport. You know how important your physical body is in order to stand up to the opposition and survive traumatic or, or intense threats. And your entire experience in, your, in football, you wore a mask. Mm. You wore protection from danger that covered your face. Mm. And based on some conversations I've had with some pretty smart people, I got diagnosed with this like via podcast as well because when I was a kid playing baseball, I, I hate masks. I can't do it. I'll mm. do it during a workout. I've got like the, um, you know, the oxygen advantage mask. Right. Of, you know. Obviously, I try to nose breathe, so it's, you know, it's a little bit, I don't, some of these, a lot of the breath stimulators and things like involve putting something in your mouth and actually force mouth breathing. Not so much with the altitude mask, but interesting. I've talked to some really bright people that do a lot of work in brainstem, and I've talked a lot of, I've been fortunate to connect with a lot of brilliant people. And when I was a kid, I got hit in the face and head with three baseballs. I knocked my teeth out multiple times. Jesus. See my nose. The thing takes three different turns. Like, <laughs> it is just a disaster. And so I'm very, like, I wear hoodies all the time. I fractured my skull. Mm. I've had brain surgery. My neck is fucked up. Mm. So I'm super protective of my head. The hoodie thing, I never knew this, but it's like, a, it's a football helmet for me. Mm. I, it's this weird psychological thing. And it wouldn't surprise me. You're resistant. You know, the threat isn't real. Mm. You know, your body can handle whatever you don't need. A, you don't need armor. Mm. You know what it's like when you need armor, but you don't need it here. So there's this, there's this like divisive internal experience when you feel forced to protect yourself when there's no threat mm. because I bet there's something there kind of, I guess, psychoanalyzing you. And I'm basically regurgitating smarter people than I's words because I had the same conversation with um, people like Lois Laney and uh, Dr. John Marchese, who's done a lot of work on my brain. And, um, but back to your question. I so, think there's something there just to, just to, uh, there's definitely something there, you know, because I'll find myself like walking around, and I'll have that feeling. It's like, what are we doing? Why? Wait, why am I wearing a mask here? Uh, like, I feel absurd. I feel absurd because I'm like, there's, you know? Well, because you're not weak. Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know. And even, I don't know, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely something there. No, I mean, I, I just think that, yeah, and, and I'm like, I don't know. I've been in, I've been hospitalized multiple times, knocking on death's door a handful of times, probably shouldn't have made it a few times. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, at this point, like, bring it on. Bring on the fucking death, dude. Like, you know, most of us who are so scared to die, we're not even living. You know, it's like you're not even living your life and you're afraid to die. What are you afraid of? You know, death could be a fucking blessing for you. You know? And most of those people running around in mass have never had that. So you and I yeah, yeah, I know that's kind of a real, that's a big realization. It's like, wow, a lot of people probably haven't done anything in their life, you know, and not to be an asshole. Like I'm not, I'm just saying if you've just sort of lived the standard American life, you know, which is, I don't know, go to school and then whatever it is, like try to climb a corporate ladder of some sort do the nine to five thing. Like you haven't experienced a whole lot, not to be a dick, but you probably haven't. Like you haven't experienced a whole lot of trauma. I mean, there's probably a lot of emotional trauma, you know? I mean, I think, you know, mental health disorders, alcoholism, drug addiction are massive issues in our country. And people leave a lot of emotional trauma untended to. You're absolutely right. And I think there's no... There's no like rite of passages anymore. Right. Yeah. That's it. Isn't that it? That's it. It's like, have you had the rites of passage, you know, and you could get that in sports. You could get that in military life. I think throws that at some people. If you're lucky, you know, you have a bad accident and you have some intense life events happen. I don't know. And I think you and I have similar perspectives, but I can only imagine with, you know, when you, look out and like you i think you said earlier it's like some guy that hasn't gone through what you've gone through that hasn't gone through the rites of passage that doesn't know understand uh what you understand around grounding sun eating exercise is telling you how to take care of your body and you're like bro i like i've been in more surgeries than uh than you've been through graduation so yeah exactly <laughs> Shut your mouth, dude. Yeah, dude. Like, it's uh it's just a you know, and I think there is, there's like, you know, I've joked with Amelia that it's like a testosterone connection because I don't know any we talked about man Montana men. I don't know mm-hmm. any men, like when I think of the most masculine men I know, there's not one of them that believes in COVID. Mm. So mm. what is that? Mm-hmm. How come I don't see any guys like you running around in masks. How come I don't, Mm -hmm. how come it's only the guys that never played a sport that went to Harvard that like, you know, invested, you know, all this into their education and their ego. Mm. It's uh, it's I've had this thought on that, which I always think is funny and I've wanted to tweet this out, but, uh, and it worked kind of better in 2020, but I, I thought to myself, 2020 is, is shaping up to be the horror thriller version of revenge of the nerds fucking yes dude right (laughs) it's like (laughs) this is like the sci-fi version of revenge of the nerds it's like they're taking out all of their angst on the people who who have been living life for the their entire lives dude 
I don't know. In some dimension, you picked on Bill Gates in high school, and now he's like, fuck you, Evan. Fuck like, you. I'm coming for you. I'm going to fuck you up with all these injections. That's what's going on, man. He's doing it for profit. But uh, anyway, so nasal breathing. Yes. Here's the thing, man. There's, when you think about, let me, let me give an example just for my own life, right? Like when I, when I, so I, I don't, did I tell the story about my injury in the first half of the show? I don't yes. Know. Yes. Essentially, and you, you back. got a lot of healing going into the ocean in the Bahamas. Right. Hell yeah. Holding your breath. Right. But mm-hmm. when this thing fell on me, okay. Mm. And any trauma, any injury, psychological, physical, spiritual. But what happened, what do we say? We, you and I, we probably both talk a lot about fight or flight. But what we might not talk about is freeze. Mm. When mm. I had this colossal fucking basketball hoop fall, I didn't get out of the way. Mm. So everyone there was like, bro, like you just stood there and this thing just crushed you. Mm. So fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. Now, freeze is a cranial nerve to keep you safe and out of pain and whatever else. Like, I didn't feel any pain when my cerebrospinal fluid was leaking out of my head. Jesus. But that freeze is locked in my brainstem. Hmm. That freeze initiates the stress response and if you don't get rid of it which is a lot of work Mm. you will be inclined to be in a stressful state more often than you're in a parasympathetic state and of essentially when it comes to breath you think of every breath and every beat of your heart is the result of you talked about 41 or uh, 51 49 Mm -hmm. good and evil Mm mm-hmm 4951 on uh 4959 not stressed stressed mm. and every beat of your heart those can switch those can toggle mm. right now if the if the the sympathetic always has to be on because if you walk out your front door and a freaking mountain lion starts sprinting at you you have to be able to act fast if you put your hand on the stove if you Whatever it is. For people who don't know, will you just say what the sympathetic, what you're referring to? So, so the sympathetic nervous system, essentially your nervous system is broken into two branches. Yeah. Right? You have the parasympathetic, which is extremely healthy. It heals your cells. It digests your food. It, it, it activates your sexual functions. Mm. Uh, it, it builds your immune system. And then you have this other branch, which is the sympathetic, which is designed for short-term avoiding short-term pain uh, and danger and everything else. But the thing is, when you're in that stressful state, you are borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. So Eben is going to escape from the mountain lion or get, get his hand off the stove. But during the time that he is actually on his escape, he has suppressed his sex hormone production. He has suppressed his immune system. He has mm. suppressed a lot of these long-term building projects. And until we are living more stressed that's such a good that's so important to know man it's it's important to realize too that like it's not necessarily like a trigger of a gun it's not one or the other they're both always on because the sympathetic has to be vigilant 
because you never know when a threat may pop up. But to the extent you can bias and and not let the sympathetic kick into the 50s, right? That's just metaphorical. It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mathematical the more you can suppress that and the more you can allow a greater percentage of your heartbeats and your breaths to come from the parasympathetic state the more healthy you will tend to be mm. those two branches essentially are nasal breathing mouth breathing mm. god dude you're fucking giving me some lessons here bro <laughs> so essentially when you are the nasal breath you would never, if you were running from that mountain lion, you wouldn't breathe through your nose. <laughs> what the fuck? Like there's a mountain lion out there. Like what? So that is the signal. The, the mouth is the panic button. Oh my god! All of these, all of the adaptations, or all of the, um, all of the gadgets, all of the nozzes, all of nozzes, all of the switches, all of the changes that occur inside your physiology the breath is really the thing that's giving them the red light or the green light Mm. the danger is when people have a childhood trauma divorce injury whatever it might be if you ever experienced freeze or shock that is what gets people stuck a lot because if you have that, and, and I used the example earlier of my own life where I had the freeze from the injury, I had the traumas of waking up, I had the traumas of going into brain surgery and watching my whole family like collapsing in fear and, and despair as a mask went over my mouth, right? So like, I had all these traumas, all of those things are going to be my brainstem, and I'm going to have a lot of trouble getting from 51 to 49 metaphorically on that scale Mm. forever and i might never know that it's there Mm -hmm. when it gets to nasal breathing so that's the big thing as soon as you mouth breathe you increase blood pressure you blow off co2 you send you send blood away from digestion and your sex organs right so you're producing less sperm if you're a guy you're digesting less food you're suppressing your because all of that energy and all of that blood all of that resource is going into fight or flight evans you know you're either going to run or you're going to punch someone out right can i ask this joe yes. so i would say would you say that you're also out of your prefrontal cortex out of your exec- executive functioning system yeah absolutely mm. so when you look at this um when you when you absolutely you you are acting from an emotional state mm. you are actually in that more reptilian state where you are not you are totally you are totally just kind of responding you're very reactive you're not processing so you might do just bizarro things right mm. uh and it's the same thing when you get someone into fear you do that exact same thing you activate Anybody in fear is 51% or more. They're probably mouth breathing behind that mask. And they are definitely, when you want to talk about how are people watching the news and reading (laughs) some of this nonsense, it's because they've deactivated that. And on top of that, if they're drinking fluorinated water and their pineal gland is completely calcified and they've got, you know, stress coming from every internal organ, it's just like, okay, well, these people don't really have a shot. Right. um, Hmm. The nasal cavity, first of all, it's 
it's about half the size of your brain, right? Mm. So if you think about God, universe, force, whatever, whoever made us, he allocate, she, he allocated a lot of space in our head for something. Mm. And if we weren't supposed to use it, that it, if it wasn't important, then um, we probably wouldn't have it. Now, when you look at it, what is its purpose? Well, the interesting thing is when you when you the nasal it, cavity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you when you kind of look at it, you can think of it as like a a matrix or a um you know like a think of it as like a you know a, what is it what do they call it? you know where you draw the line through the maze when you're a kid. Mm. You kind of think of it like that. I mean, it's not the best example. A labyrinth. But, labyrinth it's a labyrinth where the oxygen and everything goes through there's all sorts of little hairs in there so it's going to basically latch on and detoxify a mm. lot of these things those little hairs will grab onto viruses dust all of this nonsense and what happens well i'll tell you what happens with those particles in a second and why mouth breathing is the dumbest thing in the world when there's any kind of pandemic but you're also when the air is going through the labyrinth you're actually absorbing oxygen that entire time. Mm. So you're going to get about 20% more oxygen with every breath, mm. right? So yeah. You become more, interestingly, more reliant on fat as a fuel. Mm. So there's Interesting. Here as well. If you're mouth breathing, you're producing far more lactic acid. You're blowing off far more CO2. You're not producing nitric oxide, which I'll get to in a quick second. And you're going to be more gravitated towards sugar. Mm, God, uh, it's all connected. That's the thing. All of this stuff that we talk about overlays, right? Mm -hmm, it's really mm -hmm. cool. Now, here's the funny thing. If you are mouth breathing behind a mask, first of all, there's a 96, 97% chance a virus is getting through your mask. Mm. If you're mouth breathing behind it, you are sending the virus directly into your lungs. Mm. If you are nose breathing without a mask, Let's say there's a 100% chance that the virus gets in instead of a 97%, even though who cares, um, <laughs> comes in, goes through this labyrinth, all those little hairs that grab onto all of these toxins doesn't go to the lungs. You swallow it, and it gets eaten up by stomach acid. Mm. So you don't get sick. Right? Mm. So... There is this mother nature derived incredible mechanism that keeps us extremely safe. And when we exhale through the nose, we actually, that is the, the stimuli to produce nitric oxide, mm. which keeps our heart healthy, which, you know, keeps you, you know, uh, uh, a, your, you know, if you're a guy, it, it protects your erections. You know, it keeps your uh, aerobic capacity high, which is why a lot of endurance athletes use beats because they increase nitric oxide and, and vasodilate your blood vessels and allow more oxygen in. So yep. there's this whole natural effect of nasal breathing. And um, can we qualify this? This is science, right? Science, dude. <laughs> um, it's it's anatomy, really, and, and this isn't body. Coach Joe just talking shit about yeah, nasal man, like, breathing. Like this is real. Like this is real. what happens. Like, this is what undeniable. the anatomy is. Yeah, it is just undeniable what's going on here, and it's magical when you appreciate it. But I don't mm -hmm. think there's many doctors that would even if someone went in and and uh, 
you know, I want to I want to tack on one more thing, and I don't keep saying tack on, so sorry about that. No, it's um, all good. Man. Comes in with a stress disorder uh, or something, and they're you know their their jaws descended, or you know they're kind of like the mouth breathing face, like anatomy. Like there's a book called Jaws, like mm. or, or read Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. The face changes shape if you mouth breathe, especially mm-hmm. as a young kid, right? Mm-hmm. And so your face. Somebody that has like a, you know, a pretty chiseled jaw, chances are they're a mouth breather. Mm. Someone has like a droopy, like UK, like in the UK, a lot of people have these like long, narrow faces and kind of like, you know, not so big noses and, you know, kind of like mouths that are a little larger. It's because they've been mouth breathing since they were two. And maybe it's because they eat a lot of bread. I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) there's a, um, the, the last really cool piece of this and, um, I gonna say i just said a second ago i want to come back to this what was it evan nasal breathing won't get sick because you swallow the bacteria and it gets burnt up by stomach acid mouth breathing there's one more kind of big piece that i'll i'll think of in a in a millisecond i just got a little excited in that nitric oxide nitric oxide the whole thing Mm -hmm. um is is just it's all interconnected and it's all vitally important and it's and it's completely oh this is it so look at my nose man i you know it is it is in rough shape like my kid i'll hold my eight month old and he's always like what is that like what is that thing like he's always like playing with it here's the amazing piece of mother nature when we are fight, flight, freeze, and anywhere on that continuum, we're under 51%. We're, you know, we're, we're breathing more stressed breaths or stressed heartbeats than we are uh, relaxed breaths and relaxed heartbeats. You're activating the stress response. Well, how does that work? Why does that happen? Why would that occur if in my frontal cortex I know I'm relaxed and I'm not in danger? When you experience, this is like a bullet out of a gun. When you get stressed, your nasal cavity, and this is what happens in the, in, the, uh, in the case of trauma, especially if you've ever been frozen or in shock. If you ever had a near drowning, as an example, it's going to be really hard to ever nose breathe again. Mm. Your nasal cavity, to ensure you fight or flight and to ensure that you have the energy available to escape and to ensure you increase blood pressure, increase heart rate, decrease digestion, and allocate all the resources into your safety, short-term safety, your nasal cavity actually also inflates. So you physically can't get air in your nose if you Mm. wanted to. And this, I think, is very often confused as a deviated septum or a Mm. structural abnormality because – 80% 80% of people have a hard time switching to nose breathing, right? But 80% of people don't have structural abnormalities. What they mm. probably have is some trauma that's inflating that nasal cavity and making it very hard to get air in there. And so that is actually putting them into this reliance on the, on the mouth. So uh, one of the ways that I think is probably the most effective uh, in terms of getting you out of fight or flight is nasal breathing. Uh, mm. But it's humming. Mm. Mm humming and um even uh you know if you my my friend lois laney has this thing where it's exhale hum swallow so to resync your potentially paradoxical 
breathing patterns, naturally what you would do is exhale through the nose with a hum and then wait for a sign to swallow. And eventually after a few seconds, your body will tell you to swallow. So we'll just try this out. So ready? Inhale, exhale, hum. Wait for the impulse to swallow. You probably got it by now. So if you do that three, four, five times, it's actually probably the easiest way in the world to start to resync this. Mm. Now, if you've got a seriously blocked nose and inflated uh, nasal cavity and a lot of trauma, like you're gonna have to do more work than a few inhale hum swallows, but uh, it's a start. But nasal breathing is, is big time. And, and one more thing is just mouth taping at night is probably the most important thing for most people because mm. I think a lot of people try to incorporate some nasal breathing throughout the day and, and very consciously uh, start to try to do it and they get frustrated or whatever. And then they fall asleep at 10 PM and they open their mouth and they breathe through their mouth for nine hours or whatever. So quit during the day, like don't even think about it during the day and just nasal breathe at night and hope that you get some carryover. And um, that's probably where most people should start. And uh, Patrick McEwan, uh, I did a podcast with him. It was absolutely awesome. Um, but he created these awesome mouth strips that, that I use. And I think mm. they're better. Uh, I think they're better than anything else because I'll tell you, there's a lot of mouth strips that actually shut your mouth for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go on like Amazon, you type in like mouth strips that I don't think is unstressful. So I think if your mouth is actually taped closed, you're going to actually activate that stress response. So what I started doing before I found the other one, the myo tape, it's called. I would actually get like micropore tape, like 3M micropore tape off Amazon or whatever. And I would actually just trace my mouth because the interesting thing is if you actually like, you know, uh, like tickle around your mouth like this, you're actually going to seal your lips automatically. Mm. So that's a mm. much healthier way to get the nasal breathing benefits at night. And, um, but Hey, if you're a serious, uh, if you're a serious mouth breather, maybe, you know, maybe that strip across the mouth would be good for a few weeks or whatever, but mm. um, anyway. So good, man. So good. Such good info. Um, yeah. I mean, breathing, I've totally changed how I breathe over the last five years. And, and my wife would say I was an insane snorer for a long time. I don't snore at all anymore. No way. I, I literally like, you know, it's kind of mind blowing. I mean, that's a huge thing, right. you know, and I, and it's all about nasal breathing, man. Yeah. Can I, one, one thing I'm curious about, because obviously the sympathetic nervous system is necessary. It's necessary to launch into fight or flight. If, the fucking mountain lion is crossing the path or whatever it might be. Um, so what, and I think that in, in my, my intuitive sense is that when you get yourself into a much more, uh, a much heavier parasympathetic living state. So you're just more so, in that parasympathetic state because you're nasal breathing all the time. 
your body is going to, you're, you're going to adapt your nervous system into a place where you're only going to start reacting to the real dangers. You're not going to be walking around like just in a sympathetic, just in fight or flight. Because I think what, what was so interesting listening to you talk, man, about that is that people are just walking around in fight or flight. Like we're just walking around in a state of panic and we don't even realize it. It's just humming below the surface at all times, you know? Well, and that's in, yeah. If you walked into a grocery store without a mask on, so if you ask somebody, if you ask a masker if they're living in fear, they'll say no. But if you tried to walk into a grocery store right now, they would dive out of the way to not get near you, <laughs> right? So it's like, oh well, that's there. It is right there. Uh, no, no, it's um, it's right on. But I think one important thing is too. I think. A lot of times, you know, we're so conditioned to kind of live in extremes. Mm. In other words, the truth is omega-3s are good for you because we don't get enough of them. Sugar is bad for you because we get too much of it. Mm -hmm. But like even as regards, like if you look at like a lot of my old aerobic athletes, my um, you can be too parasympathetic. Mm. Interesting. Okay. I've seen aerobic athletes that are that are overtrained in the other direction. Mm. like what does that look like so i mean it's just fatigue lack of okay uh, so you're kind of slow you get a little sluggish right get a little sluggish um just can't yeah it's just it's kind of hormonal right so Mm. it's this sweet spot where like yeah ultimately you know yin and yang exist because you need both right yeah and one isn't better but nowadays we're so yang that like we got to find a way to put some yin back Mm -hmm. like it's just like we were going to talk about fasting like if you're you know fat and unhappy fasting might get you really 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 healthy but if you start doing the one meal a day thing after three months you're going to lose your sex drive you're going to feel just sluggish your your sleep's going to be dysregulated so we we this pendulum thing Mm -hmm. is an important note um and and i think as it relates to exercise i think that's probably the best example because uh some of the weight room experience that you have pretty much requires some mouth breathing right mm. so there's a you know a valsava maneuver if you're doing a heavy deadlift a heavy squat so yep. there's this is maybe another podcast but anatomical yeah. versus, versus um um yeah there's anatomical breathing and then there's just uh, more breathing for performance, right? So mm. in other words, anatomical breathing, when I do this, I exhale. And when I do this, I inhale. But in exercise, that's not necessarily true. Because if I, you know, if I'm doing a, a seated row exercise, when I pull the thing in and I'm exhaling on the exertion, I'm actually doing the opposite of what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. If I'm doing a deadlift, I will pressurize far more effectively. <sighs> Yeah. air in my mouth. So there's just uh, places. An exhale on the expansion. Yeah. Of a deadlift. Yep. There's a lot of places where we violate these rules. So I think that one thing about nasal breathing, especially, it's just to recognize that. But that being said, in exercise, uh, you should absolutely nasal breathe as much as you possibly can. So like this morning, I did 10 30-second all-out sprints, right? Mm. Killed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, did, I love I that. I'm going to do that. Uh, 
And actually, I want to tack one thing on with the head injury thing, because I think yesterday or whenever it was last year when we did the first half of this show, um, <laughs> I said something that was maybe not accurate, and that was that when you have a head injury and everyone's different, um, I know we're both rambling. We've both taken so many nootropics, and it's like, <laughs> but the, uh, but um, one thing I had said is, you know, traumatic brain injury. And again, everyone is different. Every case is different. Every injury is different. But I've found that if people have um, a head injury or trauma or, or whatever, a lot of like sustained, like if they did like Tabata three days a week, mm. they're going to get real tired quick, more quickly than a healthy nervous system, a non-injured brain. They're gonna get into that adrenal fatigue state because they have to work just a little bit harder to get to zero mm. than the average person. Mm -hmm. But I think what's really therapeutic for the brain, and this is totally anecdotal and just like myself and the people have helped with this, is really short high heart rate stuff with long recovery periods. Mm. I think that that actually tends to calm the brain. And, that, and so I think like, the sustained elevated supper fest, I don't think is necessarily great for our brain, but like spiking that heart rate nine or 10 times on the fan bike, you know, once or twice a week, I suspect is really good for the brain. So, so, um, I, I would agree with that. And I would say like, just before we hopped on this pod, I did a 20 minute, 20 kettlebell swings, max out pushup sets three sets and I was fucking blown in 20 minutes, literally. And so when you say high intensity with long periods of recovery, are you talking about high intensity sets and then a long period of recovery between each set? Or are you talking about high intensity volume total and then like 18 hours before your next workout? So I'm, I'm referring to um, uh, shorter intervals. With, so basically the, the work to rest recovery within the workout mm -hmm. is, okay. is greater or the intensity is just not maximal. So it's funny. I told you my brother-in-law is only like 16. He plays soccer. He's like, you know, he's like a freaking stud. And <laughs> we did a workout last week and my heart rate topped 200 beats. Jesus. Per yeah. The heart rate monitor, right? Like, like, holy smokes. Like I haven't <laughs> seen those numbers in a while. If I'm doing a workout like you did 20, 20 kettlebell swings, a bunch of push-ups. you know, maybe there's even some extra, some fan bike or some rower mm -hmm. or something. Um, if I'm doing something for 20 or 30 minutes, you see the heart rate, I'll probably be, you know, and by the way, heart rate doesn't really matter. I really use four zones, which mm. is easy math, I call it, which is go mapatone method, which is approximately 180 minus your age, which is your max aerobic heart rate, which means that's the maximum, a maximum heart rate you can basically do with just your nose. So mm. I kind of have easy, which would be like a recovery day, math which would be approximately 180 minus your age if you're wearing a heart rate or the heart rate you can sustain with only your nose. And then I have grind, which is actually a heart rate kind of like you're saying. So that's going to be lower than what I would call max. And I know this is a little confusing, but when I do 30 seconds all out with two to three minutes in between each one, I call that max because I'm getting my heart rate near max. Grind I'm operating at the maximal heart rate that I can sustain for 20 minutes. 
but it's not the same as my max heart rate. So I think in regards to brain injury, I think hard grinds are harder on the brain than short bursts in that max zone. Mm-hmm. So, and you would say, Luna, good God, the dog is just, she's a savage. Um, would you say 20 minutes, would you get into a grind workout in 20 minutes? You definitely could, but my uh-huh. guess is your kettlebell swing push-up workout, uh, the push-up you see, that's, you know, you are, your heart rate's not going to get like super jacked probably. So in other words, the heart rate is kind of the meta- the kettlebell swing is kind of the metabolic component, you know, especially if you're doing 20 swings and you're probably using your 72 or your 80 ca- yep. kettlebell. Yeah. So 20 swings with that, like that's going to be, you know, an effective heart rate exercise. Mm-hmm. But the push-ups, you could probably do quite a few of them. So it's it's kind of almost a recovery. Your heart rate, if you were wearing a monitor, is coming down. Mm, right? Interesting. So yeah. If you were doing. Yeah, the like, swings really take it. They do. So if you were doing, uh, let's say, 20 calories on the bike mm-hmm. plus 20 swings, and you did that for 20 minutes, like that'd be a beast. You, you, Blown you, out. Such a suffer fest. Like you wouldn't <laughs> be able to like at the show. Yeah. Gone yeah. at four o'clock in the afternoon. You know yeah. that type, and that I think is the type of thing that is hard on on brain injuries. Mm. Um. Mm. But um, I think I think the workout you did is actually awesome in terms of there's intervals in there. And I'll say that the research on interval training is funny. Tabata's kind of the best. Improves aerobic and anaerobic capacity at the same time. I've done Tabata, but what is that? What is the structure? What's the format of that? So it's 20 seconds of hard work. Uh-huh. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll say that like, the research is always done like on a monarch bike in a lab. It's not necessarily <laughs> done. It's not necessarily done with like push-ups, like most gyms are doing it. You know, so like, mm-hmm. the benefit of it is questionable in, in those environments. But when you look at the the research on Tabata, uh, it's twenty seconds of work, ten seconds of rest uh-huh. for four minutes. Okay. Yeah, but it, so but it's like so damn hard. Like, right, so you're on the Monarch bike, which is basically think of it as kind of like a fan bike, but it's more like a regular kind of recumbent or uh, upright bike. But they're putting a percentage of your body weight as resistance on the on the fan. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty grueling. I've done a lot of Wingate tests and and things like that when I was in college. I was I was a subject in some research studies, and it was just like a love hate relationship, mostly hate. But the um, the Tabata stuff. So it it improves aerobic capacity and and anaerobic capacity at the same time. But there's no study. Like, I've never seen a Tabata study beyond eight weeks. Most of them are two weeks. Some of them are four weeks, sometimes a six-weeker. So what that's suggesting is people just can't do this for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the actual uh, physiological change in something like I did today, which would be like every three minutes, do a 30-second sprint. And then the two and a half minutes in between, maybe you're doing push-ups. I did pull-ups today. Um, maybe you're just doing something to kind of stay busy, but you're more or less recovering. You actually get similar benefits as Tabata. The big difference being you could do that forever. You could mm-hmm. do that three days a week forever, right? You could do 30 seconds all out six or eight times and never get extremely fatigued. But if you did Tabata on your to a laboratory standard, you would be 
extremely fatigued in a short period of time. So mm. that's where like a training plan kind of comes in that's methodical and well-designed. And chances are we're supposed to spend most of our time in that math zone, mm -hmm. that, that MAF, that 180 minus your age. If you're super fit, you know, maybe you're a couple of beats off. Um, chances are like 80% of our training should be there. And then 20% of our training should be that like punch in the nose type workout. Uh -huh. Would you say that math is, um, is that, could you say that that is the zone where you could still have a conversation with someone? Yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. So it's, it's conversational if you're mouth breathing. Right, right. Yep. Yep. But yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. A brisk walk, a light jog, or if you do that stuff, or, um, you know, some sort of. You could kind of say like. Um, more than a brisk walk, probably. Right. Well, if you look I, at like my, my zones, because I don't like, you know, heart rate is too tricky and some people don't like it. And I don't love getting people too paralyzed by, you know, all these, you know, metrics and trying to keep the heart rate in the same place. So if you look at the four things that I created, which is easy math, grind and max easy, you could sustain all day. So like if you were going to do an ultra marathon, your heart rate would be easy. Your heart rate would be probably between like a hundred and 115 beats, like the whole time. Mm -hmm. If you were uh, math, you could probably do for two to three, maybe four hours, like a marathon, right? So mm -hmm. math would be your pace for like a marathon, which is a little bit faster than your pace for a hundred miles, 50 miles or something longer than a marathon. Grind would be like your 10 K pace. And then max would be like maybe your 5k pace if you're a stud, but chances are it's more like your 400 to 800 meter pace mm -hmm. in terms of heart rate. So yeah. it's kind of the, the breakdown, the breakdown, but it's really intuitive. Just think like in your brain, in your heart, is this easy? Is it medium? Is it hard for the amount of time I'm doing it for? Or is it just fucking hard and I'm not gonna be able to do it for more than another few minutes? Mm -hmm. Like that's the heart rate. That's really the only four zones that anyone needs and no one needs technology to like. Really yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm so I, I'm at this stage. I'm so reject rejecting of technology. Like I kind of feel bad. My wife and daughter for Christmas got me this like super advanced light alarm clock that you do with an app and it was you know it was so cute that they got me this thing but i i did like one night i just like started fucking with it i'm like i don't even need this i don't even set an alarm anymore i'm up at 6 a.m every morning like you know i don't need the fucking light and the programming and the thing and like the voice and the sounds and so my daughter just uses it now it's like okay but yeah, dude, I, I'm, I'm just like, give me some fucking weights. Give me some water, coffee and some meat. And I'm good to go, dude. And turn off the news. Yeah. Turn the fucking news off. Put the phone away as much as possible. I mean, my wife, Amelia used to, you know, cause I've had a, you know, I've been tracking my HRV for a long time. You know, I, mm. did, um, I did a, a talk, a TEDx talk, like, six five six years ago on hrv and mm. at that time i had been tracking my hrv for three or four years but it's it's funny how like 
after a certain amount of time, you kind of know what helps your sleep and what hurts your sleep. Mm. And I used to, mm. you know, it's so funny because Amelia, my wife, she would like see me looking at my data in the morning and she'd be like, are you seeing how good you feel? <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's so funny because I've dealt like, I've dealt with this with a lot of coaching clients and that like, you feel great, but then you see that you didn't sleep well. And now you're like, now you're sluggish and you can't work out. Interesting. Like, there's this like, this whole thing. And, and when Amelia was pregnant, I was like, well, you know, I, I'm so protective of this kid. It's crazy, right? Yeah, of course. Maps and Bluetooth and everything else. And I'm just like, I know that they say airplane mode on this stuff is like, you know, benign, but like I'm sleeping with my hand on my wife's pregnant belly. Like I'm not wearing a freaking device. That's like potentially emitting something all night or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the story is like, I ditched it and I really haven't looked back. He's eight months old. So I haven't even tested really in a year and a half at least. And, um, interestingly, mm. I like just did it like, you know, last week, HRV was like higher than it's like, than I ever remember it feel freaking fantastic getting yeah. less sleep, yeah. right? Like the whole yeah. thing. So ultimately HRV is related to your internal environment. It's less related to your workout. It's, it's mm. mostly what's going on between your ears. And so mm. your HRV is going to be worse from two hours of CNN and an easy workout that is <laughs> from no CNN and a two hour workout. Right. So remember that when people are like, you know, using these devices and stuff, it's like, you know, knowledge is power, but like, you got to really get it because most people don't. Yeah. People, like you said, that like need some weights and some heavy kettlebells and some, some fatty coffee. And they're taking days off because their HRV is low. It's like, it's low yeah. because you're, afraid of everyone and watching <laughs> garbage nothing yeah. to do with the weights and the coffee so oh my god dude well joe i mean this is basically joe you we could talk for literally for fucking days dude um well dude thank you so much this has been so fun i know we're gonna roll on yours in a second um yeah. but let everybody know where they can find you and follow right. you Thank you. If you haven't thrown your phone away yet. No, dude, I got, I got, yeah. But I'll tell you though, I do have two phones because I have, um, this is, I have a phone that is, uh, you know, it's got all the apps on it, like mm -hmm. social media apps. And it's got, you know, all of this stuff, my Bitcoin. And then, nice. Uh, and then, um, and then I've got my like real phone. That, uh -huh. that you take calls on. That I take calls on and my family texts me on. I don't have apps on that phone. Uh huh. So it, I like that. Sort of this, like, so we call this the social media phone, and like it floats around the house. And um, when we got to post on social media, we like you know come into my office and post on social media, then we leave again. So it's just I it's love like, that. I've been moving in that direction. It's like you know it, now you can get phones for free. You add a line; it's like ten bucks a month. It's like it's just so easy to do. Not to mention now that they're tracking your every move and every step. It's like I don't want you know whatever. But uh, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Coach Godi just about everywhere. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. Um, my uh, my primary business is called Runga. Our website is, and by the way, it's CoachJodi.com as well. My podcast is called Stacked with Joe DiStefano. It's available on all the platforms. Runga is my massive passion project that. Um, I've been doing for six years. We started with live events. Now it's becoming more of a, um, 
kind of a, a media company in, in that we have, uh, by the end of this year, we'll probably have like four or five different podcasts. Uh, Love that, dude. Mindfulness and um, uh, Minds Fitness, and we'll eventually have one for nutrition, et cetera. So we're kind of becoming a syndicate. Uh, and then we also launched an online tribe through Runga as well because our live events business was, well, you guys can pretty much figure that out at this point. So the retreat business took a real hit. In, yeah. But um, that's Runga Life on Instagram and .com. Uh, but yeah, I'd welcome anybody to check us out and come hang. And yeah, I've been, this was tons of fun, man. Uh, a lot of fun, dude. Pleasure. I really appreciate you, man. No, it's, um, it was a great time. I appreciate just the open, honest conversation. And um, it was a lot of fun. So thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys got as much out of that as I did. As always, I greatly appreciate all of you, your listenership, your support. Uh, the greatest way you can support me in this show, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast platform. You could also check me out on Patreon now, patreon.com forward slash EDS Britain. I'll have all of that in the show notes, all of Joe's info as well. Lots of love to you guys. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.